thank you that you know us, uh, you know about our sin, and you sent Jesus for us, and that you want to continue to be with us. God, we pray that we would gain insight into who you are and insight into how we can continue to follow you. Help us now as we open your word. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever caught yourself saying, my life will be better when fill in the blank? For example, man, my life will just be better if I can finally get done with school. Anybody said that? I, I remember saying that one. Or what about this one? My life will be better when I finally get married. I remember saying that one too. Okay, I'm doing poorly so far here. Uh, what about this one? My life will be better when I can retire. I haven't said that one yet, so I still like it here. So. Uh, but if you said that one, um, or what about this one? My life will be better if the Vikings could just win the Super Bowl for once, for Pete's sake. Uh. Now, don't get me wrong. I am not saying that it's wrong to look forward to things. But I hope that we don't live our lives in such a way that we assume that the circumstances of our lives dictate whether we feel fulfillment or not. Here's why. If we get to the place where we're lacking something and we suggest that God is the one at fault for that, what we're really doing is we're, we're accusing God. We're, we're looking at our lives, we're looking at the circumstances of our lives, and maybe we look up at God and say, hey God, how come it's not different? Now again, don't get me wrong, we all go through discontentment in life. We all have things that, that we might feel that we would want to be different, and sometimes it's good for us to put our energy towards those things, like, like finishing school. That would be a good thing. But what happens in your soul when you kind of feel like you're maybe not where you want to be? <laughs> or more importantly, what's true of your relationship with God in those times? Or even more simply, what's true of God? in those times? Has God ceased looking out for you if the circumstances of your life aren't exactly what you want them to be? Well, we're going to take a look at a beloved psalm today, Psalm 23. It's one of those uh, psalms that I, I tremble a little bit before preaching on. I, I read a theologian today. He said only a vandal would try to take apart this psalm. So uh, that's not what I'm hoping. I'm not trying to take apart this psalm today. Uh, what I would like to do is to take a look at it and to see what God has for us in it. It's a psalm that reminds us of how God takes care of us. Now, every year around Thanksgiving time, like I've been saying the last couple of weeks, I like to do a sermon series through the book of Psalms. And the reason I like to do that is because I feel it is so easy for us to take our eyes off of God and put them on to simply our circumstances in life. And yes, of course, we have to be aware of our circumstances. But sometimes we take that too far and, and we forget God in the midst of our circumstances. So I like to do this Psalm series every year to retrain ourselves to focus our eyes back onto God. Hopefully our gaze hasn't slipped from him all year, but this series is just a reminder for us. So Psalm 23 will give us a wonderful vision of God. And if you're feeling like you've slipped a little bit, maybe this, will, this scripture will be what helps you remember to see God again rightly for who he is. But then also I picked Psalm 23 because it's another one of these psalms that talks about God with us. Uh, for the last, oh, I don't know, several months now, I've been saying that the biggest blessing that we have, the biggest blessing that is revealed to us in the Bible is the blessing of God with us. 
And Psalm 23 explains that blessing. It's a prime example, in fact, of this blessing of God with us. Uh, Psalm 23, as many of you know quite well, I'm sure, uses the analogy of shepherding. It starts off with, the Lord is my shepherd. It was written by King David, and he knew shepherding well, because before he was king, he was a shepherd. So he took what he knew of shepherding and what he knew of the loving care of our Lord, and he wrote this beautiful psalm that I hope will minister to your soul. So I want to read through Psalm 23, and then we're just simply going to walk through it verse by verse. Psalm 23, a psalm of David. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, verse 1 is such an amazing verse. I just want to reread it here. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. I'm guessing that for many of you in here, this verse has ministered deeply to your soul at some point in your life. Uh, maybe even just a show. Is there anybody that's ever gone through something and you've come back to this? It's been true for me that I've, I've come back to this verse and just said, wow, what an amazing truth. Um, the Lord is our shepherd. And when you think of a shepherd, try not to think of it maybe so much in 2015 American terms of shepherding. In ancient times, shepherds lived with their sheep. In fact, they would oftentimes have to go on long journeys with their sheep to take them to go and get food and water. They would sometimes be gone r- routinely for days and even weeks away from their home with their sheep, living with them, sleeping in the same place as them. A shepherd in those times would get to know his sheep, and, and his sheep would know him as well. In fact, this shepherd analogy is a recurring analogy in the Bible for how God relates with us. Let's just look at a few of them real quickly. Luke 15, it's the parable of the lost sheep. Remember that one? There's a shepherd who was counting his sheep. He had a hundred of them, but as he was counting them, he recognized that one of them was missing. And what did he say? Well, 99 out of 100, that's not bad, right? No, that's not what he said. He went and looked and looked and looked for that lost sheep until he found it. And when he found it, he brought it home and rejoiced and celebrated. And that parable is meant to remind us of the heart of our Father for us, that He looks and looks for us. The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. God's desire is that we would not be lost, but that we would be with Him, and that He would take care of us as our shepherd. Another passage in the Bible on shepherding is Ezekiel 34, and in there God rebuked Israel's religious leaders because they were supposed to be shepherds but instead those leaders were only looking out for themselves. Verse 2 of that chapter says uh, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who only take care of themselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? And as a result of what God saw in that chapter God himself took over as shepherd of his people. And then we have John 10. That's the famous one where Jesus said I am the good shepherd. He contrasted himself with the hired hand who doesn't care about the sheep, so when trouble comes, the hired hand runs away. But Jesus said in verse 15, I lay down my life for the sheep. 
Isn't that amazing? That's God's version of shepherding. The shepherd who cares so much that he lives with them, takes care of them, and even lays down his life for them. So here's the deal with God being our shepherd. If he's with us as shepherd, he will take care of all of our needs. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. That's how God shepherds us, even in our trouble. And he's very good at this shepherding thing. And that's good news for us because if we're following the analogy, then we're the sheep and sheep need help. Sheep are pretty defenseless animals, right? Have you ever, anybody ever gotten into a fight with a sheep? I'm guessing it didn't go too poorly for you if you did. They're not really blessed with speed or strength or full body armor. I'm not suggesting that you should fight them, but, uh, but if you were, um, you know, they're slow and fluffy and they need protection. And that's what shepherds do. And uh, one other thing I learned about sheep, I just learned this secondhand, so uh, don't quote me on this, I guess. Just quote the... Uh, the imaginary guy that I'm telling you about, but his, he told me a story. Uh, he was a sheep farmer, and he was giving a Bible lesson on sheep, and he said that sheep aren't very smart. In fact, sheep will overgraze on clover. And at first, that didn't sound like a very big deal to me. Like, what's the problem? So they're just going to get full? Like, oh no, they're, they're full. Well, no, that's not the problem. If a sheep eats too much clover, there, there's some deadly gases that can start to expand in their stomachs. And they will just eat and eat and eat until literally their stomachs would explode. So this guy was telling me that sometimes what they would have to do as shepherds would be to poke a hole in that sheep's stomach to let some of that gas out so they don't die. You see, sheep are animals that need help and provision and protection. And, and that's what God does for us. But here's the deal. It doesn't go well for sheep if they're left to themselves. Now, I'm, I'm sure that a lot of people in today's day and age would kind of bristle at this. Oh, what, you're calling me a sheep like I need somebody to, to watch over me at all times? Well, well, the truth is, God holds the universe in existence, and we do need his watchful care. Uh, somebody once asked me, do you think that we needed God when we were young, but we don't need him anymore? And I was just, after I was dumbfounded for just a couple of seconds, my answer was, we wouldn't even be able to take our next breath if it wasn't for God's watchful care. That's who we are as sheep. We are in constant need of our shepherd's watchful care. We don't always know what's best for us, but God does, and he leads us into what's right. So as it says in verse 1, because the Lord is our shepherd, we need not be in want. That means that if we are in God's care, we have everything that we need. We lack nothing. It doesn't necessarily mean that we get everything that we want, right? Raise your hand if you haven't learned that lesson in life. You don't get everything you want. But in God's care, we get everything we need. And I was thinking about that. Is that true? Uh, is that true for the refugee? Is that true for the, the child in Africa who's starving? Um, let me suggest it this way. If we rightly understand what the word need means, and if we rightly understand that God is watching over us and loves us and leads us, and the fact that God has heaven in store for his children, then I think that we can rightly say in whatever circumstances we are in that God is with us and we have all that we need. We'll talk a little bit more about that, though, as we go on here. Um, the, the phrase specifically here, I shall not be in want, it, it means that we don't lack things. It was a word used in Deuteronomy 2.7. It says there are these 40 years, and by the way, that's talking about the 40 years of wandering in the desert. These 40 years, the Lord your God has been with you, and you have not lacked anything. Now think about that. Do you think that in the desert, 
that there were some things that they didn't have that they wanted? I think that's obvious, of course. There were things that they wanted. But look what it says. You have not lacked anything. The Lord your God has been with you. Boy, if we could just get this one straight in our minds, this difference between what we want and what we need. How often do we complain against God because of the things we want but don't have? Has God stopped taking care of us in those times? What is it for you? When do you play the woe is me game? When do you forget that God looks out for you? Think about that. Over the last maybe week, maybe month or year of your life, when, when in there have you had this conversation with yourself where you've thought to yourself, God isn't giving me what I need and I'm really bummed about it. And if you were honest with yourself, you were maybe even accusing God of, of not watching over, of not providing for you. Have, have there been times like that for you? Well, remember this verse, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. If he is with us, we have all that we need. Our response should be faith. We should look to God first and trust that he will take care of everything. Jesus told us in Matthew 6.33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. All these things referring to the things that we need like clothes and food. Jesus said, look to God first and he'll take care of all that we need. Okay, let's move on to verses 2 and 3 now from Psalm 23. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, like I said before, we don't always know what we need. Just like a sheep doesn't always know where to go to get food or water, we also don't always know which way to go. But God does, and he leads us into what's best for us. He leads us into green pastures. He leads us beside quiet waters, which, by the way, quiet waters could also be translated as waters of rest a place where we go to get rest. Sometimes the shepherd knows that the sheep have been on a long journey and they just need a place to stop and rest for a while. And for some of you who are listening to this message, maybe what you need to hear is that God wants to lead you into rest. We live in a society that praises us for, not just for working hard, that would be good, to be praised for working hard, this, our society even praises us for overworking ourselves. If you, if you work more than you're supposed to, if you burn the candle at both ends against God's best wishes, your boss might pat you on the back and say, well done, good and faithful servant. But it may not be what God is leading you into because God leads us into rest. I want to tell you a couple stories from my life of how I had to learn this, this story of rest. Um, one of them had to do with taking a Sabbath day. Um, I, I knew that there was this precedent set in the Bible of God worked for six days and then he rested on the seventh day and he gave that pattern to us. And Jesus even told us that God made the Sabbath for us, for our good and for our benefit, but I wasn't doing it. And I think one of the reasons why I wasn't taking a Sabbath rest is because I was procrastinating. And it was ironic. You might think that procrastinating leads to rest, right? But it's the opposite. I, I recognized that when I procrastinated, I carried with me the burden of all these things that I wasn't yet doing, but knowing that I would need to do them, and I'd do them at the last minute. And what it meant was that I didn't ever really rest. And then I, I thought about this Sabbath thing, and you know what? God has told us we can take one day off a week for rest. Did you know that, by the way? You have permission 
to take one day off a week for rest and for worship. And I wasn't doing that. And in college, I decided, you know what? I'm going to take God up on his offer. And I started doing it, and one of my first thoughts was, man, I can't believe I didn't do this before. What was I thinking? Don't, you don't need to do it. I, I, I urge you to take one day a week for rest and for worship. And then the second thing, second story about resting for me was um, I went through most of my teenage years and into my early 20s just being tired all the time. Uh, and the reason for that was I just was not using my time wisely at night, you know, staying up, watching TV, uh, you know, the time of my life playing video games. And I just, I, I do the night as my time and I, would, I was going to get the most enjoyment out of that time as I could. And I'd go to bed too late and I'd get up and I'd be tired the next day. And finally, when I was about 23 years old, I realized, I don't want to live like this anymore. I don't like being tired all the time. So I decided, as a, as a spiritual practice, to get the sleep that I needed. And I, it, it took some discipline to cut out, okay, maybe turn the TV off a little bit earlier, get to bed, get the sleep that I need. And that was another thing, like, why did I not do this before? But here's the deal. God leads us to rest. He wants to give our bodies rest. And also in verse 3, he talks about, how, how, talks about how he restores my soul. God wants to give that to us. And then it says in verse 3 that he guides me in paths of righteousness. Now, taking the shepherding analogy, that can simply mean that he, he guides us on the right path. And if it's a matter of being on the right path or the wrong path, boy, that's a no-brainer. Which one do you want to be on? But I think there's also a moral component here. The paths of righteousness are the paths that God wants us to take as opposed to the path of temptation or the path of evil desires. And, and let's be honest with ourselves, we're tempted to take those paths sometimes. But God leads us on the paths of righteousness. And why does he do it? For his name's sake. And, and this is great. Um, God deserves glory. And many, many of the things that God does, he does for his glory. And one of the things that he does is he leads us in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for his glory. So by us going on the right path, we can actually give God glory. And that's a, that's a great reason in and of itself for us to take the right path. Uh, and I'd just like to add to it, though, it goes well for us. Uh, it goes better for us when we take the path that God has for us. It's for his glory. And God, in his provision for us, is and he has our best interest in mind, he leads us in what's going to be best for us as well. Application question here. When it comes to choosing God's path or your path, which do you choose? Are you good at you know, standing at that fork in the road when you're tempted to go one way, but you know God is leading you the other way? Have you built that faith muscle such that you can say to God, I want to honor you by picking the path that you have chosen for me? It's so easy to go through life the other way because all we have to do is just think about what we want. But let's train ourselves to think about God in those moments and say, God, I want to follow you. He is able to lead us and guide us. Do you seek him until you know which way he leads you? Okay, let's move on to verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Last Sunday in Psalm 91, we saw that followers of God are not promised a life free of trouble. 
And here in Psalm 23, David talks about walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Sometimes God allows us to go through those difficult times. But even so, David knew enough to say, I will fear no evil. Now the word evil here is the same one that we saw in Psalm 91. And remember, there's a difference between the word trouble and the word evil. Jesus promised us that trouble will come in this world. We will face trouble. But as we saw last week from Psalm 91, even though we go through trouble, we don't have to go through evil. Because if God is watching us as our shepherd, he protects us from evil. And yes, the trouble may come, but evil, no. There's a difference there. And the difference is the watchful care of our God, who is with us. Look what David said, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And again, this is what I have been talking about as the biggest blessing in the Bible, the blessing of God's presence with us. Because if we have God with us in whatever we go through, even if that's the valley of the shadow of death, we are taken care of. We can lean on our shepherd. We can trust in him to get us through. You see, whether you're a Christian or not, troubling things will come. But the blessing of God with us is for any of us who seek him by faith. And we can go through the things that we go through in life with him. Even if that's the valley of the shadow of death. So have you learned to trust God like that? What happens to your soul when trouble comes? Do we have any worriers in here? We're commanded in the Bible not to worry. We're told here that we need not fear any evil. Yet, do you worry? Do you, do you ever lose your focus on God and look at the circumstances around you and start to think, oh no? Now again, we need to be aware of the circumstances of our lives. But let's keep that vision of God such that we remember that he wants to be with us even in the valley of the shadow of death. He is our shepherd. And, and interestingly, something that comforted David here in the valley of the shadow of death was the rod and the staff of his shepherd. Now, uh, those, were, those were tools of the shepherd. The staff was kind of like the walking stick. And you can kind of maybe picture a, a shepherd using that walking stick to kind of nudge the sheep along. If, if they're kind of wandering off a little bit, just a little gentle nudge. Uh, but the rod was a more powerful weapon. And uh, it's often been said that perhaps you know, a shepherd could use that rod. Let, here, here's an example. Let's say that the shepherd has brought the sheep to a pasture, but he knows that they're only going to be there for a short time, and then they need to move on. What happens if the shepherd notices that one of the sheep isn't eating the pasture the way that it should? Well, maybe he gets the rod out and, and urges that sheep to eat. You know, sometimes God disciplines us. But it's amazing, in the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, it talks about how God disciplines us. But when, it does, when he does so, it says there it is for our good. It's for righteousness and peace. So are any of you going through a, a time of discipline from God right now? Any of you in here wandering from God? And maybe right now you're feeling that rod of his discipline on you. Maybe it's a little uncomfortable right now to think about it. But I would like to say this. It's for your good and righteousness and peace that God would remind you to get back on track with him. Sometimes maybe God uses his rod like that. But also that rod was used as a defensive tool. Uh, that would be the rod that the shepherd could use to beat back an intruder. I remember 
this was written by King David. Remember, before he was king, it, in the story of David and Goliath, David reminded King Saul about how when he was a shepherd and a bear or a lion came to take one of the sheep away, that David went out after the bear or the lion and struck it to rescue that sheep. Now, I was thinking about that. I'm thinking if I'm a shepherd and let's say I'm watching my sheep and a bear comes and takes one of them away, I might be tempted to say, okay, Mr. Bear, the, the rest of us sheep and me, we're just going to go over this way. You enjoy your lunch and we're going to go over here. But that's not what King David said. And it's the heart of God for us to remember that God goes after the lost sheep. So our shepherd with his rod protects us from danger. And that reminds me of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ, who protected us from danger. Because the worst thing that could ever come against us wasn't a bear or a lion. It was the power of sin. And we were defenseless against it because we were sinners doomed to death. But what did Jesus do? He came and took our penalty for sin upon himself and died on the cross so that any of us who receive him by faith can receive forgiveness and can spend eternity with him. And there again is the blessing of God with us. That's the, the purpose of the gospel message is that we would be able to spend eternity with God. And by the way, it's not just eternity, it's a relationship with him right now as well. That's why Jesus came for us. If there's ever any trouble that comes our way, we can know that our shepherd wants to be with us in it. Okay, let's move on to verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Isn't it nice when a table is prepared for you? Um, Christine and I, every year, we go to a conference about two and a half days long, and all the meals are provided. We don't have to cook them. We don't have to clean up after them. And uh, I think Christine especially enjoys that part of it. But isn't it nice to have a table prepared for you? But look at where it's prepared here. In the presence of my enemies. Theologians have suggested a bunch of ideas as to why we would be eating a, a meal in the presence of our enemies. But the simple truth that I love about this is that even if our enemies are there, God is taking care of us. And if he's taking care of us, then we can say along with Psalm 23, 5, my cup overflows. Then let's look at verse 6, the first part of it. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. Uh, in our life, there are difficulties. Sometimes it feels like those difficulties pursue after us. But in this verse, we learn of two other things that pursue after us. So think about a chase scene in a movie or in a TV show. You ever seen those? Uh, maybe the good guy is chasing the bad guy. Maybe the bad guy is chasing the good guy. But whatever happens, there's this chase. And sometimes those chase scenes go on and on and on. And sometimes I'm amazed at how good the, the second person is at, is at chasing after the first one. But usually in, in a movie, that scene then ends and it comes to resolution. But in our verse... We're pursued all the days of our life. But that's a good thing, because what's pursuing us is God's goodness and his love. Isn't this amazing? The relentless character of our God to pursue us with his goodness and his love. And that word love, by the way, it's a, it's a strong word. It's the Old Testament word that's sometimes translated as God's covenant love. It's the love which he has covenanted, promised, agreed to show his people. And we can bank on it. Goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. It's for us who walk by faith. Now, I'm not suggesting that we can just go and do whatever we want to do and then trust in God's goodness. But what I am saying is that if we're walking by faith, 
then absolutely we can trust in God's goodness and love to keep coming after us. And this love, by the way, is not a love that we deserve. It's a love that God gives to us because he's the God of love. So I love this. Um, God is with us, and because he is with us, his goodness and his love keep coming after us. That's one reason why I say that the biggest blessing in the Bible is God with us, because if he is with us, then all of his resources are also with us to bless us. But then let me change the tune just a little bit and to suggest that it's not just the resources of God that are our blessing. I want to conclude here the, the same way that Psalm 23 concludes and suggest that the biggest blessing that we have is God himself with us. Verse 6 goes on to say, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. To dwell in the house of the Lord forever is simply to be with him. And this isn't just talking about a, a one or two hour worship service. This isn't even just talking about the promise of heaven later. This is talking about the life we can live now with God. Where he watches over us and protects us. And where we can go to him and live with him and do our whole life with him by faith. In whatever we go through, we can go through it with our shepherd. And that means that we don't have to rely on our own resources, but we can trust in God to give us all that we need. So my big idea for today, if God is with us, we have all we need. Do you know that? Again, think about how many times in our lives we question that. Think about how many times in our lives we look at the circumstances and say, things aren't going the way that I would like them to. And, and maybe without even knowing it, we accuse God of not being good enough at being our shepherd. But the truth is, if he is with us, we have all that we need. And then here's my conclusion. We can live the God with us life now. I want to put a quote on the screen for you. It's from a theologian named Gerald Wilson. He said, It is possible to experience the gracious presence of God and to receive the abundance of life he offers in the midst of life as it presently is. I love how he ended that. As it presently is. The blessing of God with us, as I've been studying for the last several months now, is, again, not just a blessing that awaits us in heaven. It is there for us. Praise the Lord. Eternity with God is something that God wants to give us. But God with us is also about the life we live right now by faith in Emmanuel, Jesus, God with us. It's for our present life. This, Gerald Wilson also talked about the abundance of life. John 10.10, 10, Jesus says, as opposed to the thief who only came to steal and kill and destroy, Jesus came that we may have life and have it abundantly or have it to the full or you could translate it as have it overflowing. That's the kind of life that God wants us to have right now, an overflowing, abundant life, trusting that God is our shepherd. We can have a life of rest, provision, joy, peace, goodness, and love right now because God is with us. So how do we do that? How do we get in on that kind of life? It has to be by faith. But if we're going to live this kind of life of faith, what are, what are some things that we can do to experience that? I want to I conclude my conclusion. I realize I'm using that word a lot here, but I'm, I'm really going to conclude my conclusion now uh, by giving you two tips for how we can live this life of faith where we live by faith with God who is with us. 
So suggestion number one, thank God for what he gives you. It's interesting, Psalm 23, just like the last two psalms we looked at the last two Sundays, didn't use the word thanks, but I think that there are psalms of thanks. I think that the reason that David wrote this psalm was for himself and for us to remember that God is our shepherd in whatever we're going through. So living that kind of life is a way to thank God constantly. As we retrain ourselves to take our eyes off of ourselves, off of just our circumstances, and to remember God in the midst of it, is a way to live a thankful life. So, are you thanking God often for what he does for you, for his watchful care and his provision for you? Thanking God helps us remember his presence with us. Okay? I, I think that's so important. It's something I try to say every year. Thanking God helps us remember his presence with us. So if you're struggling, if you're dealing with those things of life, and you're, you're just thinking, what do I do? Well, go to God and thank Him for His presence with you. And then second here, if you're going through trouble, don't assume that your shepherd is distant. His heart's desire is to be with us. He tells us in His Word that He will not let us be tempted beyond what we can bear. And He tells us that even though we might go to the valley of the shadow of death, that His desire is to be with us. And again, this psalm ends with David delighting in the thought of dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. For some people, that might sound boring. What does that mean? Being in church forever? Oh, come on. <laughs> You're not supposed to laugh at that. That would be good, right? 24-hour <laughs> sermon. That would be good. No. Um, for us who know the Lord, it should be a great delight for us to be with Him. We can go through this life with God. And by the way, Psalm 23 isn't a psalm of no trouble for the follower of Christ. Psalm 23 is a psalm that reminds us of God with us, even if we go through trouble. Jesus promised us trouble, but we're also promised the presence of God in the midst of it. Our shepherd wants to lead us to safety. He wants to give us rest, and he wants to pursue us with goodness and love all the days of our life. And eventually, our shepherd wants to take us home. This, this shepherd's heart of God never stops. It starts in the book of Genesis, and I want to show you a verse from Revelation 7.17 7, now. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. Our shepherd wants to be with us now and forever. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for what we see in this psalm, of your heart's desire to be with us, whether that's in the valley of the shadow of death or even in a, the, a table in the presence of our enemies. But God, we thank you that you take care of us, that you lead us, that you guide us, and you do it for your name's sake, and that your goodness and your love come after us. God, may we remember that the best place for us to be is in your presence. May we dwell in your presence now and forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.